Do you have any phobias? Harvard Medical defines phobia this way. A persistent, excessive, unrealistic fear of an object, person, animal, activity, or situation. If I have a phobia, it would be rats. I absolutely despise rats. And yet one year for Christmas, my family bought me this giant rubber rat. They thought they were funny. It's not funny. You see, a lot of people have phobias and they're very real. They may not be actually a threat to their lives like they might think, but to them, it's real. And there are some really interesting things that people fear. In fact, there was some research done that, that they ranked phobias based on uh, the top phobias being the most common among people. And uh, I thought maybe I'd share a few of those with, us, with you all this morning. The first that I want to look at is number 88 on the list of 100. It's called the contraphobia. That is the fear of clowns. You know, some people think clowns are funny, but some people think they're absolutely terrifying. Number 80 is ketophobia. That is the fear of hair. They're not afraid of their own hair. It's the hair of other people, which is great because if you have ketophobia, I can be a friend of yours. I'm not a threat. Number 75, omphalophobia. That is the fear of belly buttons. That made number 75. You can't, people who have omphalophobia fear belly buttons. Number 74, pogonophobia. That is the fear of beards or men with beards. And we just know there's a real threat around here if you suffer from that, okay? Number 26, probably my favorite. Let me take a shot at Hippopotamonstrosis quipedeliophobia. It's the fear of long words. I kid you not, it's a real fear. And it made it number 26 in the, in the rankings. Number 13 is glossophobia. That's the fear of public speaking. I always thought that that was number one fear, but it's actually only number 13. Tripophobia. That's the fear of holes. That's number 10 on the list. Surprisingly, the fear of holes is number 10. Pretty common. The top four, agoraphobia. That's the fear of open spaces or crowded spaces. People with this fear rarely go outside. Number three is acrophobia. That is the fear of heights. And we're told that 5% of the general population have this fear. Number two, ophidiophobia. That is the fear of snakes. And now I'm starting to really resonate with some of you. And the number one phobia is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. In fact, 48% of women and 12% of men say they suffer from arachnophobia. You know what, we might find these phobias interesting. We might even find some of them a bit humorous. But one thing is for sure, fear is real. It's real, and it keeps many people from experiencing the life that God intended for them. That was the case for me in the summer of 2014. We were dealing with some serious financial issues here at the church that summer. I was struggling. I was consumed by this gnawing belief that I didn't have the right answers, or I wasn't going to be able to fix these issues. This fear led me to being really stressed out. 
I was having trouble sleeping because my mind was just running all the time. It wouldn't shut down. And I explained to the elders during a meeting that July that I was discouraged and burdened by this struggle. They understood. I now know that I was afraid of the unknown at the time. I couldn't see forward. I was feared that we were going to, we were going to, we weren't going to make it, or we were going to make the wrong decision. And I was starting to think that maybe I had broken God's church. I shared that I was struggling to sleep when one of my fellow elders, a brother of mine, said, I haven't lost one week of sleep. And I interrupted him. I said, you haven't lost one week of sleep because I lose sleep every single night. And then he said to me, he said, no, I don't because this is God's church. God is in control, and he will take care of his church. And and that resonated with me. I suddenly started to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I saw that, that I had believed the lie that we were not secure, that God wasn't in control. I believe the Holy Spirit was directing the conversation that night because I started to understand that I had nothing to fear Because this was God's church. He was going to see us through this season. And guess what? He did just that. In fact, time and time again, he has parted the Red Sea, removing or helping us through whatever the thing was that stood between us and the purposes that God had for us. Has fear ever consumed you? Has it? You didn't have all the right answers or you didn't feel like you had the ability to face a challenge that was lying up ahead? Were you overwhelmed with all the what ifs? What if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if nothing happens? When fear takes hold, it is so easy to believe that failure and uncertainty is right around the corner. Well, I want you to listen to what the psalmist says. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is week number three in our series called True Identity. The subtitle is See Yourself the Way God Sees You. And through this series, we've talked about the lies that some of us have believed at different times in our lives. Maybe we're believing them right now. Things that you believe to be true about yourself that aren't true. At least, they're not what God says about you. Possibly you thought no one wanted you. Or maybe you felt worthless or you lived with the belief that you were a hopeless cause or that your life was meaningless. Those are common lies that our spiritual enemy tells us to try to disrupt or derail our lives. This is what Jesus said about our enemy. He said, the devil, when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, the devil tries to convince us to be afraid, but the Bible tells us to do the exact opposite. Do not be afraid. Well, what does this security that God gives actually look like? 
Well, initially, we need to understand that, that we have this universal aspect of our fallen nature. It's a deep-seated insecurity. Insecurity can manifest itself in attempts to overcompensate or maybe even withdraw. It can show up as a false confidence or the avoidance of challenging situations to preserve yourself. Security is defined simply as safety or freedom from danger or harm. The adjective, uh, the adjective usage of the word secure implies certainty. It refers to a done deal, meaning if you are secure, no outside force can remove you. In the spiritual context, nothing can separate you from God. In every situation, security is about finding safety in an unsafe and uncertain world. And we struggle with that, don't we? I'll admit it. This lie is the one that resonates with me the most. The lie that I'm not safe And that lie causes fear. Is the lie, it's the lie that gets me the most. When the conditions are just right, insecurity hits me. My insecurities may be different than yours, but we all have them. Chip Ingram in his book, Discover Your True Self, which is one of the resources we're using for this series, He points out that all of our insecurities fall into four different categories. The first one is this, fear of physical harm or death. Number two, fear of rejection or of being alone. Number three, the category fear of punishment or judgment. And then number four, anxiety, guilt, doubts, and condemnation. Our fears fit into one of those four categories. Categories. Those are where our insecurities are found. Now, the Bible says this fear not or do not be afraid over a hundred times. Jesus' last words were found in Matthew 28, verse 20, the last part of that verse. And he says, And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Numerous times in Scripture, God promised his people that he would never leave them or forsake them. And while we all know that that's true, yet we still struggle with fear. We struggle because we face difficulties in this world. And it may surprise you to know that God allows these storms to come into our lives. Even if he wasn't the creator of the storm, he will use that storm to accomplish his good and perfect purposes. He'll use the storm to help us fulfill them. One of the best examples of this is found in a study analysis of the life of Joseph. It's found in Genesis, the 37th chapter through chapter 50. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then shortly after that, he's falsely accused by his master's wife. And then he finds himself imprisoned for years. He thought he had been forgotten by a person who had promised to mention him to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh about his situation. Time and again, he was betrayed by people close to him who were supposed to support him. And each and every time, 
he had a setback. The Bible would say, the Lord was with Joseph. And what's so interesting about Joseph's story is that every setback worked to further God's plans for Joseph, even though Joseph couldn't see it at the time. But Joseph put his faith and security in God, and God sustained him in every situation that he encountered. You know, our journey is similar to that of Joseph's. The fulfillment of God's plan for our lives rarely looks like a straight shot or a direct route. The fulfillment of God's plans for our lives sometimes takes some unseen turns. Hey, when we have setbacks, several of them all in a row, we might begin to wonder, where's God? Why has he abandoned me? When you are on a confusing path, you'll be tested, you're going to get stretched, you're going to have your safety and security tested, your life's going to get forged on the anvil in the furnace of God's fire. These times can be challenging, but the reality is that they strengthen our faith. They develop our character, and ultimately they secure our hope in God and God alone. It's in those moments that we oftentimes grow the most. So here's a key point. The things that make us most insecure are often the very things that are designed to increase our awareness of our security, to increase our awareness of the security that we have in God. In every situation, we need to trust God's promises. You must know he is on your side. So here's a question. Where have you put your trust? What have you placed your security in? Maybe it's in yourself or your intellect or your finances, your family or your job or maybe something else or someone else. Maybe you're not even sure. If you're not sure and you want to know where you, where you have focused your security, I want you to try this. I want you to think, what would devastate you if it were taken away immediately? Or what challenges to your current circumstances would put you in a full-blown panic if it disappeared? The answers to those questions will tell you what you think you need in order to feel secure. What I want to do in the next few moments is just talk about what is God's plan to provide us security. See, God offers us a type of security that cannot be disrupted by anything. We can be completely secure in Jesus. So how do, you, how do we know that this is true? Well, first of all, the Apostle, Apostle Peter said this in 1 Peter 3, 18. He writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Jesus came to earth with a specific purpose of bringing us back to God. We've already seen the implications of that in this series. We've seen that we are wanted by God and valued and chosen and adopted and redeemed and significant. So naturally, it follows that if God would do all of those things and all of that is true, 
then God would not hold us loosely, but instead, nothing could ever separate us from him. I love what the author of Romans said in Romans 8. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. There is is no absolute security in a fallen world. Now we know God is there, but you and I have had enough experiences, we've read enough headlines, and we've suffered enough losses to understand the temporal nature of this life we live. Though God is there, there are still storms that are going to come. Each of us is just one earthquake, car wreck, or cancer diagnosis away from a significant life change. And nothing that you believe about God or yourself is going to eliminate storms from coming into your life. But here's a key point. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond. What you can do is change where you look for your security. Avoid the things that can't provide it. Put those all aside and then just focus on God because he can. If you're a Christian, when you gave your life to Jesus, God became your father and you entered into this personal relationship with him. It was then that you became a new person. First Corinthians says the old has passed away, the new has come. God promises that you will ne- he will never leave you, but how can we know and experience this supernatural security that God has already provided for us in the midst of those storms? Well, the solution is found, I think, in Ephesians, the first chapter. We're going to start with verse 11 if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with me this morning. Paul shows up in this text and he tells us how we can know that we are secure. Let me read verses 11 and 12. He says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. In in verse 11, Paul uses the little word we, which in this context, he's referring to those Jews who had converted, converted to Christianity. The Jews who were the first to put their faith in Jesus were chosen as a vehicle for God's purposes. This was God's strategic plan. Paul is basically saying those of us converted Jews were wholeheartedly chosen by God to be his ambassadors of his blessings. And then he continues in verses 13 and 14. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, 
the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. In verse 13, Paul uses another short word. It's the word you. And, in, and this is a reference to the Gentiles who were reading this letter. He said, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. These Gentiles heard the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus for salvation. And then Paul makes a powerful statement that guarantees our security in salvation. He says at the last part of verse 13, he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This is an extraordinary guarantee. Let me explain what I mean by that. In the Roman culture, a seal was vital. A seal was used to fasten important things, and it was also a guarantee. An example of a seal would be found on an official document. A dollop of wax was put on a cord that tied a scroll, or it would have been on the lip of an envelope. And then it would be sealed with the signet ring of the king or a governor. And if that was the king's signet ring that was used to seal the document, then that reassured the recipient that the contents were untouched or untampered with. They were secure. In fact, the penalty for tampering with the king's seal could be harsh. An example of that is the writing that the power and authority of Rome stood behind the king's seal, guaranteeing that anyone found breaking the Roman seal would suffer the punishment of an unpleasant death. This was for those who had heard the gospel and then believed in it. This wasn't just a a mental acceptance of a theological position It was putting their trust and their commitment in Jesus and living their lives in accordance with that. And in response to their decision, God marked them with the official seal, his official seal, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that proved that they belonged to God. They were his. They were part of his family. Paul's point is God's seal here of the Holy Spirit makes your salvation secure. In addition, Paul says we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about that. When God makes a promise, it's irrevocable. He doesn't go back on his word. He never has, and he never will. If we sincerely repented of our sins and were baptized into Christ and we put our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we have salvation, and God has promised. No one will ever take that away from us. There's one other clarifying thing that Paul used in this text. The Holy Spirit is given to us, he says, as a deposit of our inheritance. The picture here is of a down payment. It's just like you and I going in and making a deposit or putting a down payment on something that we're buying, like a car or maybe even a house. And that, that just guarantees the seller that we are committed to this deal. They can count on us to see it through. 
God has put his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee from God of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is evidence that one day God is going to pull everything together for the fullness of our salvation. That's security. And it will never change. God never wants us to live with fear. We're his children who are assured of an eternal inheritance, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise, as a down payment. God has for you all of this because some of you are on the threshold of missing out on it. Some of you are on the threshold of missing out on some of the best things in this life that God has for you because, well, you're running away instead of trusting him. Is that how you see yourself? Fear is the phobia. You're afraid of being afraid. There are four maneuvers I think can help us to break the grip of fear. The first is this. When fears come, identify them. Just say, I am afraid of being alone, or I am afraid of unemployment, or I am afraid of getting cancer. Whatever it is, name it. Nothing is ever conquered until it is openly and clearly identified. Number two, commit the fear to the Lord. Let's be very practical here. Spell out your decision to rest in God's security, in his protection, and tell God, this fear, it's yours to take care of. And then number three, let go of the fear. Release it to him. David said this in Psalm 55:22. cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So once you release your fear, step number four, stand firm. Don't waver. Don't take the fear back. Just stand firm in God's mighty, invincible strength. Consciously refuse to retreat. God will honor that kind of faith. And then as we close, I just want to reemphasize again the action steps that I've shared each week during this series in order to replace the lies that we've believed with the truth. Action step number one, identify those lies. Write down the lies of how you see yourself. All the distorted and unhealthy ways that you know are not true about yourself, but you believe them. And also then I want you to write down another list, all the ways and places that you look to find value for yourself. And once you have those two lists, I want you to pray through both of those, asking God to reveal to you how the truth that you are wanted by God and you're safe and secure in him and how that affects how you see yourself and how that affects where you go to find value. And then the second action step is this. Start reading the Gospels, those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the biographies about the life of Jesus. And as you read through these, write down the ways that you see Jesus caring for his followers. And also, I want to encourage you to write down the truths that he teaches that seem to resonate with you. 
The reason to do this is found in Romans 12, verse 2. I love this verse. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't believe the lies that we've been believing, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We renew our mind by reading God's word, by studying it and meditating on it. It is vital that we have the word of God regularly running through our mind, renewing our mind. It challenges our thinking. It exposes the lies that we've been believing and that have kept us living as spiritual orphans rather than as sons and daughters of the almighty God that we are. So once, you're, once you get to that, then step number three, action step number three, praise God for his grace. As God dispels the lie that we live in fear because we are not secure, then let us praise him as we come to an understanding that we are secure. Nothing can separate us from God. Praise him for the grace that he offered to us that set all of this into motion and made our salvation possible. Praise him for the Holy Spirit that seals us, that is a promised deposit. So take these action steps and expose the enemy's lies and start living by the truth. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your love for us And I thank you, God, for setting in motion through Jesus coming and dying and resurrecting from the dead the the plan that you had to set us free. Set us free from all these lies that seem to hold us down, enslave us to sin and death. God, as we've talked about fear today, there are many of us that face fears, real fears, things that seem to cripple us or slow us down or keep us from the life that you provide for us. Lord, help us to remember the truth that you're always with us and that nothing in this life can separate us from you. Nothing. Lord, we know storms will come. Many who can hear my voice may even be going through a storm right now. But like the way you helped Joseph, who faced numerous storms, you helped him through those storms in order to accomplish the plans that you had for him. God, will you help us to see you in the midst of the storms we face and help us through them to accomplish the purposes you have for us. Not just us as individuals, God, but us collectively, even as a church. God, help us to see the lies that we've believed about ourselves. Set us free from those and use your word to transform our minds so that our focus is more on you than on the challenges that we face in this life and certainly more on you than on the lies that the enemy continues to tell us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.